Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new episode of LavaCon, where we gather and share expert insights on security program management delivered with, by, and for the most respected security leaders around the world. Together, we'll explore solutions to the most pressing business challenges unique to the careers of CISOs and cybersecurity executives. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Hello, everybody. You are very welcome to a new Blue Lava Community episode here on ITSP Magazine. Uh, Here's where we get to talk about all the things the community does by the CISO, for the CISO, to help the CISO in their role, uh, bring security into the fold at every level of the organization, uh, most importantly, operationally, and on top of that, culturally. We're going to be having a conversation today with Alex Kreiline. Alex, thanks for joining us. Sean, I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's nice to be able to talk to friends and colleagues about this work. Exactly. And you, you have a lot of experience and we're going we're gonna to be digging into product security today and looking at what some of the goals are, if organizations are setting them properly, how do they achieve them, where are some of the missteps and maybe some uh, good examples of where organizations have succeeded. So before we do that, though, quick word about who Alex is and uh, what you're up to uh, in your role. Yeah. Uh, so... I am a senior program manager at Microsoft Azure, focusing on critical infrastructure. I was a chief information security officer before this, actually at a company, uh, a cloud native software company that focused on uh, releasing software to the critical infrastructure community, specifically to public safety and justice. Right, so we essentially built the uh, the back end, if you will, of nine one one phone systems. It was my job to make that safe. Uh, and to keep our company safe, keep our employees safe, keep our customers safe, and help us build a world-class product. And maybe to, I would imagine a lot of people recognize the relationship between product security and maybe information security and security operations, but maybe set the stage for us with that, just so we're all on the same page. Totally. It's not just about, firewalls and IDS and IPS and endpoint, yeah. right? If you're a, like any company today, you're building technology, you're building apps and those things, and you're using stuff in the cloud and you're customizing it. Those things also need to be protected and have security built in. So talk to me about that ecosystem to start. Totally. This. You know, there's, um, I've been reading a lot about kind of the changing role of the chief information security officer. In part, one of the things that's a consistent theme is that security's gotten so broad that it's almost impossible for any one person to be a domain expert over absolutely everything, right? From, you know, cryptography to DLP to governance, risk, and compliance um, to static application, security testing, right? The gambit's really wide. So the way that I think about product security is uh, with a couple of different layers. The first thing is in order to be able to do product security, you have to work at a product company, right? So you have to work at a company that is publishing software uh, or releasing some sort of features and functionality to the market to support end users. And, And that's really something that narrows our market down of what is product security to people who are doing the publishing of software uh, or or the you know releasing of goods and services into the marketplace. That kind of eliminates um, a lot of companies from this conversation, not a negative way, but it just kind of segments our market uh, to those companies that are you know doing specific things. but but in that market, there is there's kind of two kinds of security as I think about it. There's enterprise security all up. 
that includes everything from like IT security and detection and response and identity management and third-party risk management, compliance, just the whole stack of like making sure that the company and the company's infrastructure and the employees are safe and secure and, and meeting objectives there. There's this separate piece though, which is really about the product, right? It's about the thing that we're shipping. And, and that is really the kind of the appetite of product security. And a lot of that focus is, uh, it oftentimes begins with, um, you know, the kind of security architecture of our product. Uh, you know, what is the, what's the cryptography we're using? Where, why, how does it work? Um, how do we prevent account takeovers? Uh, supporting incident response if the product itself is breached, right? But then there's this whole other piece, which is like, how are we managing vulnerabilities? How are we managing configurations? How are we building kind of continuous improvement around security in the release of our product so that the security organization um, can actually help speed the organization's release velocity up and their safety as well by being a customer security advocate? So how do we advocate for our customers and end users in the experience that brings trust and safety when they use our products and services. And that's really what product security is focused on. Yeah. And I'm wondering how, and I had a conversation a while back, uh, with the CISO of one of the large social media platforms. And he, he said 19 teams for different functions he was managing. So there's that whole broad yeah, uh, spectrum of things, but you just listed off, I don't know how many things within product <laughs> security, yeah, just product and security. Exactly. So, I mean, that even seems like a very broad it uh, is. And, and deep domain. So, and, and you mentioned some, I mean, customer safety advocate. Uh, yeah. I, is that a role? I mean, I guess what I'm trying to figure out is do people talk differently when they're talking about product security and does it, does it confuse the infosec team, and does it does it sound different to the the security operations team and the and the overall IT operations team? Totally. So talk to me a little bit about that. It kind of can actually. Um, it's not the same language and training and even objectives that the rest of the organization might have. Like, let me give you an example here of how these things are different. If I was working in like third party risk management. I don't know if I would really have the expectation of having expertise in our product, right? And the thing that we're building, like maybe I have a login, maybe I've signed in a couple of times, perhaps on a good day, if the wind's blowing right, I can give a demo, but I don't really know our product. Um, I may not really know the data types that we're storing and collecting and processing and sometimes forwarding. Uh, I, I, I probably don't know how segmentation works in this product. Um, I may not even understand the customer experience. My focus is on uh, providing an effective experience and managing the third parties that our company does business with. Um, that's a very different mindset. So I do think that product security people are a little bit of a different animal. Uh, they sit kind of with one foot in product management and software development and overall engineering. And then they have another foot in just straight up security. And sometimes that's focused more around compliance. Sometimes that that might be focused more um, around like basically trying to eliminate uh, the need for alerts as much as we can, right? The, the safer your product is, the tighter that that experience is, right? The, the more you're really supporting your, you know, your uh, detection and response teams by quieting down their day. Right? That, that should be really our goal is everybody gets to have a, a quiet, productive day at work. If done right, we can do that together. Nice. And so I know I have, we, we have a list of things that, uh, that teams and organizations create for themselves, challenges, I should say. Um, yeah. And I guess what I'm trying to figure out, so, it sounds to me that product security, um, and I used to build products, it's almost like really more more of like part of the product team if you're doing this correctly. It's a partnership, with, yeah. Yeah, with, with deep understanding of security. So one of the things you have um, 
in the material you sent over to me is documenting the requirements. And I'm wondering how, how you see organizations doing that with security in mind, because it, it's not just we're about to release, is this thing secure, right? You don't do yeah. QA quality assurance at the very end. Totally. Hopefully they're built up front in an agile process as well. So talk to me about, about the, the role of security, product security, and perhaps even just identifying the, the potential product in the first place. Yeah, so I think um, this this really begins with understanding that the mindset of people who work in product security has to be different than a lot of the rest of InfoSec. Um, you have to be really cognizant and have an understanding of like what the job of product management is. is. Uh, it's not that it's just to release software. Uh, it's not just that it's to win the largest amount of market share, but it's also, is it, to kind of paraphrase Marty Kagan at Silicon Valley Product Group, it's to make sure that the problems we're giving engineers are the best problems we could possibly give them, right? We want to be respectful of uh, the constraints and confines of time. And uh, in order to be the best customer security advocate while also adv advocating for our own engineers and their time, we want to be able to come earlier on in the life cycle than security often does. So if we have a company that we're working at that is using two-week sprints, two-week agile sprints, right? Uh, and those accrue up to a product increment. So, you know, some sort of increment of value. We want to get in really early when that product increment or that PI is getting planned to be able to say, okay, let's discover what the security requirements might be here. They may be different than what we believe. We do some of that through threat modeling, right? So that when, when, when the organization is doing kind of architecture and analysis, product security is to partner with them to do threat modeling and pre-mortems. When we go to do the, uh, the actual sprint, right? We need to drop in security user stories and evil user stories in that backlog to make sure that all the work is visible to make sure that there's not like a secret security backlog, which I've seen a countless number of times. Um, we need to make sure that we're creating fast feedback for developers to know that when they're going to make a commit, when they're going to merge, when they're going to do a PR, when they're going to do a release. At, at those different milestones, right, we have testing and automation that's built in to flag issues fast, to put those work items on a developer's backlog, to iterate and make tighter loops between I thought I was done to I know that I'm done, right? So that it's not like I thought I was done and then weeks go by and then somebody at security sends me a nasty gram email saying, how could you possibly not have used the, the proper encryption algorithm or how would you possibly have used this library or didn't you know that this was deprecated? Because the answer is no, of course I didn't. I'm a software developer. You're the security engineer. You got to help me, right? So this is really about how we partner and help each other. Uh, how we accelerate the work of the team and not think about it as teams, plural. And it, it shouldn't be about uh, proving how smart you are with security. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do, you, do, you, do you find that that's often like, is that a theme in your conversations that there's a little bit of, uh, little bit of competition about intellect? I, uh, no, I don't know if competition is the right the right way to put it. I, I think it's, I, I think there's a sense of, of specialness, <laughs> how, we're, how we're to put yeah. it. Um, that's, uh, yeah. And that comes from both sides. And, and to be honest, when I was in quality assurance, th that same QA engineering strife was there as well. It um, is true. And yeah, there was, there was always the, Ooh, I have this, uh, this, uh, test up my sleeve that I know is going to going to break this thing. I'm going to wait for the next build and unleash it on the, on the team. <laughs> it's difficult, right? Yeah. Like what's the incentive to do that if we're all working together? Well, and maybe this is a, uh, something we could talk about. Cause I, I think what are the objectives? And I know we want to talk about goals here. What, what's mm -hmm. the objective of the individual? What's the objective of the team? And if you're not producing bugs, are you are you successful in your quality assurance role? If you're not finding flaws and vulnerabilities in the application, are you doing your job as a as a product security professional? 
I really love that. I, I, I would offer that we kind of have some false objectives in security at product companies. Um, I think we oftentimes think about it as like, well, our goal is to meet and maintain compliance. That's actually a perfectly fine goal. Um, one that I very much support because being able to meet compliance objectives is very helpful to unlocking business value, right? When when we are able to attest to a SOC 2, we increase the level of trust and comfort our customers have in our product, helping to provide a pathway for them to transact with us, right? Which literally means to pay us so that we can pay our employees, so that we can build shareholder value, right? That's Those are good objectives. I think they're perfectly fine to have. I do think though that in in a lot of like traditional application security mindset or traditional enterprise security mindset, it is to find the most number of vulnerabilities, right? That a lot of people in security seem to think that quantity um, is, is in itself a good. And I actually see it totally the other direction. Like when I see a lot of vulnerabilities, I freak out because what it means to me is that we didn't do a good enough job preventing things from having gone wrong, right? Detection of vulnerabilities is indicative that we have poor quality management from a security perspective. We we failed to provide pave pathways and dependencies and libraries to our developers. We failed to give them fast feedback. We are now requiring that they do rework. So pull the sprint, break the sprint, or do a hot fix, or pull the release, or patch something, right? And and there's a difference between like continuous in, continuously improving our application versus like going through heroics through security emergency theater, right? And I think not all of it is theater by any standard, but I would offer a different objective that I think gets us to a better outcome. The outcome that I want to have is the practically lowest number of security work items while ensuring complete security visibility and code coverage. I want to see everything 100% and I want the least amount of noise so that we can achieve and maintain a predictably high release velocity, which translates to we can run more tests and experiments to learn more about what customers need which translates to we can deliver features to customers that they're asking for to show value in our product, which translates to we can empower our engineers and developers to be able to do more and to have a more fun experience at work because it should be fun, right? Um, which ultimately, you know, the impact of which is we have a more profitable organization. So yeah. releases are, I think, part of the metric that we need to look at. Um, and we need to make sure we have the best possible scanning of, you know, first-party code, third-party code, configuration, cloud configurations, um, you know, whatever that stack looks like, we've got to have an awesome, you know, tech stack behind us. But it's not for the purpose of having a lot of noise. It's for the purpose of having a lot of accuracy. Yeah, and we'll, I want to get to some of the the day to day operations and maybe some of the some of the processes and tools. But I want to start at the very beginning, just sticking with this notion of uh, I don't know if it's a lack of respect or competition or just uh, being special in in, in one's own eyes. Uh, but I, I can harken back to days where new products were being architected and designed mm. and there was an architect, maybe an architect dedicated to the team, maybe a couple others across the organization that would come in and support that architect and, and kind of bouncing the ideas off. And then maybe a, a couple of the special engineers responsible for that, that new release that were part of the architecture and top level design and almost never did QA come into fold there and totally and, and not until later years that this role did product security come into play there it was always after well here's here here's the direct active directory technology here's a database technology here's for the, sure that all was all sorted and now you're stuck with well whatever's going to happen if you're worried about availability for the for the database well, you probably should have picked about a different database for that. Totally. So I, 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 how do you how do you see organizations 
coming to terms with that and getting the right people, including product security, mm-hmm. into that those conversations? Well, the the blunt answer is often not very well. Uh, and, and I think it's avoidable. I do think that there are some special circumstances that we do actually have to be cognizant of. Like, unless this is your first job, you probably come to your work with some trauma, um, either in development or in security. Security people have trauma from working with really sometimes caustic um, development organizations. That can be very challenging. Um, the, the opposite is actually, I, I have found more likely true where software development has some real trauma about working with previous security people because they take an enterprise security mindset to product management, which doesn't fit. Those are orthogonal things, right? Um, the, you know, in, in software development, developers always want to use new tools. They want to try new things. They want to experiment. That's their job, right? Their job is to do that because they're hired to solve problems. And so they need to be able to experiment in order to solve problems. And those problems are really complex. But security doesn't do any service when they don't have enough empathy for that. And when they kind of like force people to log in and register and sign up and get approval. And, and, and you know, I did that. I made that mistake, right? I, I'm going to put my hand up as I really took a face plan on that for probably like six months or almost a year. And then I, uh, I really realized that that way of, of doing business was very problematic. Um, I, I think the, the root of the problem doesn't necessarily come from our trauma, but it comes from our, our lack of thoughtfulness about what the organization has to do together. So let me give you just an example. If, if I had my CEO who came to me and said, I want you to get blah, 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 compliance certification, whatever that is. Um, that objective does not rest with me. I am accountable, right, for delivery of the certification, but the organization has to be responsible for changing their behavior throughout the organization. So if we're going to go for ISO 27001 or FedRAMP or PCI DSS or, you know, uh, GXP or whatever that uh, regulatory and compliance base looks like, it is not security's job to deliver the outcome without being able to modify the outputs of the organization along the way. So like if we have an organizational objective to have no critical vulnerability and no high vulnerabilities in production, then I need cooperation from software development. And that means that we have to have security objectives and key results in software engineering, in QA testing, in SRE, in product management, right, in architecture, that this is a shared responsibility and security has to really stand up to do its part by partnering with them and delivering to them reusable components, documentation, architectures, capabilities, code, tools, right, the whole shebang. So security has to come in hot as a helper in order to get them to those outcomes. But it's really difficult when that doesn't happen because now security can't create the outcome because they don't control the outputs. And without that, we can't have an impact of achieving the compliance certification that opens up the door to new revenue for the company. And your experience, Alex, do you, do you see the onus of product security put on the product security team in, in with too much pressure? Because what I'm thinking is, QA doesn't own the release either, right? Right. Um, the the ops team that's going to host the solution uh, and make it available to the public doesn't own the release either. There, there's usually a product manager paired yeah. with a program manager. Yeah. And it's those two that really rally things. Do, do you see, and maybe maybe the security product security team is putting the onus on themselves too much and trying to take on too much. So I'm, my question is the role of product management, program management and, and how do you see organizations leveraging those to bring in product security or do you see product security really driving the force? And well, does that I have to happen first? I don't know. It's a great question because I, I think actually part of the challenge is product security is very new and somewhat nascent today. Um, I don't see it. I see it as an increasingly common role. I still see it as a very uncommon role. And I think the challenge is that um, product managers 
and their program managers supporting them around that release decision, they tend to be working with more enterprise-focused security people who may not understand the full context of how to enable like continuous vulnerability detection and management, how to manage the organization through metrics and objectives as opposed to just saying no, how to accept some level of risk within a budget as opposed to um, hard and fast rules that may not make sense, right? Uh, and, and also conversely, like how to wire up an automation stack to prevent um, these problems from really having to be problems in the first place, right? And so I think the you're right that there is this asymmetrical challenge where like the product manager has an incentive to make sure that that release happens. Um, at the same time though, there is some symmetry because I don't know any good product manager who is willing to an ex accept an outsized amount of risk because they're trying to deliver a customer experience. They're not just trying to, in, unless they're just trying to meet some kind of like, you know, meaningless, like out like outputs based numerical objective like we we achieved 12 releases in the past month okay like what does that mean were they good did did they increase value how complex were they like what did they do like while i congratulate you on achieving 12 which is more than 11 right i i i don't know what that really materially means and so i think really uh, our objective is to help product managers ensure that they're delivering the best products to customers, which is why I position this problem as a customer security advocacy problem. Because I think that that's a language that connects with PMs who really have a lot of empathy and care about their customers. Yeah, and it's um, to me, it all goes back to the requirements and and capturing the requirements that that value a safe and secure environment for the customers to operate, right? And I have like totally put my foot in my mouth on occasion by not delivering technical requirements early enough in the process. I also know that I've worked at organizations that made it very difficult to do that because they didn't like, you know, incorporate security into the agile process management, right? So like um, I've been at organizations who didn't like never included security in sprint planning, right? Uh, who like there was no place in the scrum for security, right? And so even though there was a lot of talk about we want to do an awesome job to make the most secure system, dot, 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 the action wasn't there because security needs to be treated just like a architect in a QA role kind of simultaneously. So they have to be part of sprint planning, they, they should be part of a level of prioritization management. Um, but, but security also needs to operate differently, right? They need to work in a backlog instead of working by sending nasty gram emails, right? They need to develop work items and create, you know, initiatives and epics and features and user stories um, and evil user stories, right? Like, you know, as an attacker trying to get access to a customer database, I will do da 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 da. Um, you know, and insert your security user story with your stride method or whatever you want to plug in there to help explain that to developers to empower them to solve problems. So, user stories. Let's talk about that uh, briefly because you want to get nerdy. Yeah. We Let's get, get nerdy. nerdy. Let's, Let's get, get nerdy because what I'm, what I'm wondering, you, you, you mentioned earlier that it's the engineer's job to explore and, and find new ways to do new and exciting things and, and make creating, maybe to say all of this, but creative and unique product that, that delights the customer, right? It almost sounds like you're giving like the, the Star <laughs> Trek opening, you know, to seek out and explore new worlds. Maybe. Exactly. Strange new civilizations. Exactly. So, that no, nowhere in there does that say uh, let's spend all our time planning yeah. to, to, to protect whatever we build. Man, isn't and, that true? And so I know, we, we, I don't know how long ago it's, it's been since, since I heard you mention, uh, I think it was something about the Slack bots to help engineers. Oh, uh, yeah. 
be be alerted to things they're about to do in the process, right? You're you're about to use this library. You're about to check yeah. in this. It's like security clippy. Looks right. like you're. It looks like you're trying to initiate remote code injection. Can I help you not do that? <laughs> right. So my my question is, is there a way to start at the bottom that mm. that that gives engineers a chance to be creative and and maybe develop processes and tools that that weren't just thrown thrust upon them, but they actually built to say, okay, now I'm going to randomly throw this uh, evil user story into the mix uh, for our team and see what happens. Right. And it it almost becomes fun and innovative versus the the slog. So I don't know any examples or or stories. Totally. Well, so let me, let me just start with a story about this done poorly. Um, so I, uh, I, I was, I was having a conversation with, uh, with a colleague who, uh, runs threat modeling at a, at a big technology company. And, you know, we were kind of going back and forth and he was lamenting that, you know, the, the, the development team just didn't really seem to be taking any real action on the, on the threat modeling analysis that he put forward. And I asked him, well, okay, like, how did you put it forward? Like, tell me, tell me tell me what was done, right? And he's like, well, my team, who's brilliant, slogged and spent an enormous amount of work building this perfect mousetrap, um, which to be clear, I bet it was. I bet it was awesome content, but nobody read it because it was a 52-page PDF, right? So they emailed that paid PDF over to the engineering manager who promptly said thank you and then I'm sure deleted it or did nothing with it. So why would that be? Um, if you've ever worked in software development, you know that a lot of your day is spent watching a ticketing system and trying to move an item from the left of the board to the right of the board. If this 52-page PDF isn't broken down into small consumable pieces that can fit as work items on that board, it's never going to get moved to the right. Okay, So now this, this team that generated this content kind of wasted their time. right? And the only thing that they really materially did was they CYA'd which is really problematic because that's oftentimes how it's perceived by engineers. It's like, this is just a CYA so they can tell us, but like, this is never going to happen or whatever. And, and it's almost like I'm going to throw it over the fence and I'm just going to expect that it gets taken care of. And it's a little arrogant, right? So I think the first thing that we need to talk about is like, how do we work in the way that developers work? That's thing one. Um, everything we have to do works how they work. So if you want them to take action on something, it's got to be in a ticketing system. I had a straight up brilliant um, uh, VP of engineering who I worked for who just told me flat out, he's like, all work must be visible because if it's not visible, it's not getting done. We can't track it. We can't, we can't manage it. We can't prioritize it. Nobody's doing it. Okay, clear rules of engagement. Get on the ticketing system. Step one. Step two, automate the work items to feedback into that ticketing system. So that means that now we have to have gates in our continuous integration, continuous deployment process, right? So if we're gonna publish software through a pipeline, we need to have gates in that pipeline that provide guardrails. And it's not just that they break a build or, or, or you know, score something on a Power BI dashboard, but it's that they create a work item or alert someone or give feedback to a developer, right? Because the objective is fast feedback so that we can reduce the amount of rework so that we can increase our release velocity, right? So our objective has to be to tighten up that spot and make that as tight as we possibly can. And and that means that we also have to ask developers how they would do that, right? So when I asked my software developers at a previous company, how should we alert you to um, notifications that there's vulnerability? They're like the same way you alert me about anything else. Put it in Microsoft Teams, you know, just like drop it in a, build a chatbot to do a thing. Oh, okay, cool. Or we can build chatbots to do all sorts of things. Like, you know, you're standing up a new project. There's a new Git repo. Okay. Uh, Or like you're doing a merge for the first time, or there's some new project or something. Okay, cool. The bot can understand that and hit you early on with the requirements and say, hey, I want you to sign up on a Calendly or uh, bookings or something like that to schedule threat modeling. Um, or like before you go to sprint planning, you know, please have a conversation with a security champion in your team 
uh, or on our security team, right? So it's really just about reminding people and gently tapping them on the shoulder instead of like poking them, which is kind of what it feels like a lot of times for developers. I love some of those examples. Yeah, yeah out of sight, out of mind, right? And mm -hmm. if you're not thinking about it, you're not going to... You're not going to spend the time, right? You're going to. You're not going to spend the time. Whatever is pressing you at the moment. So we don't oh my God! Right, and like, how much more empathy do we need to have for for people who work in real software development? I mean, like, that's a hard job, and it's constantly changing. You're constantly getting reprioritized and context shifted. Nobody's leaving you alone. Everybody's got questions, right? Like, you just and and you're and how are you measured? Release velocity and quality. Yeah, I'm glad you went there because I want to. I know we're coming up kind of to the time here, but just the, the idea of measurement um, because we <clears throat> we're kind of talking about in the moment, right? Day to day, yeah. what's, what's top of the stack, what's the left that I have to move to the right. And Oh my goodness. End of quarter's coming. My MBOs are due. I'm, I'm missing X, Y, and Z. How am yeah. I going to get there in the next few days? And I'm wondering, do you see any of, uh, or how do you manage MBOs to support this environment that we want to do, leveraging perhaps processes and tools and automation? So as well? I'm a believer in a lot of transparency. Um, it, security vulnerabilities don't come from security teams. Let's just start there. I'm not pointing the finger at developers by any standard. I, I would not do that but they are responsible for software development, right? Now, vulnerabilities either comes because somebody made a mistake or age, right? Uh, our application's been in the wild long enough where there's a exploit kit that's now available for it, or, you know, SHA-1 was deprecated, right? Whatever that looks like, right? Age is part of the challenge. Uh, mistakes are also another part of the challenge. And we'll just stay away from intentionality or sloppiness for a minute. So. The, um, I think one of the goals is to publish clear metrics and allow for any software developer to see, generally speaking, um, the vulnerability dashboard. Or maybe it's not even just the vulnerability dashboard, it's like the product security dashboard. How are we measuring ourselves, right? So like, what's the average age of a vulnerability? That's an interesting question, right? Why is that an interesting question? Well, because if att like attackers' talents age like wine, but vulnerabilities age like milk. So like a good indicator of the likelihood of exploitation is the average age of a vulnerability. Um, so, you know, that might be one metric that we're really interested in. Uh, another one could be the escape rate outside of our software development lifecycle. So how many vulnerabilities are escaping out of our SDLC and into the wild? Um, you know, there's, there's a list of metrics uh, that organizations need to generate. Personally, I'm a huge fan of Richard Sierson's book, How to Measure Anything in Cybersecurity Risk. The guy's, uh, a, I'll pay him a compliment. He's a hilarious beast. So, you know, coming to terms with that, I think is really helpful. Separately, also measuring things like release velocity, uh, cyclomatic complexity, um, these are really hard things to measure, but they're really important. And if you're a follower of Gene Kim and his book, Accelerate, right, um, you'll, you'll see that there are a lot of good measurements that that book also puts forward. So if we're thinking about how do we manage by objectives, uh, I think the real answer is make sure that those, not just those objectives are visible, but our service level um, indicators are all also visible, right? Like the actual, how are we doing on this metric? Because uh, that's how people will be able to telegraph if they're doing a good job, if they're not doing a good job, if they're likely to get a nasty phone call, if they're not likely to get a nasty phone call. Um, and, and that's how the organization needs to run. And we, we normally do that for all sorts of different parts of the organization. Some orgs even make their finances transparent on some level to the entire company and have a dashboard that any employee can log into to look at, general, generally speaking, a P&L of the organization. It's a healthy habit. Transparency is good. Something yeah. that security is not great at sometimes. Yeah. And I, I'm just wondering if... Because I'm thinking some of the stuff that that we want to look at may not be a number, right? It may be 
time or it might be the result of a conversation. And mm. I'm, so I'm wondering, kind of to your point of before you move to this next phase of the product uh, development lifecycle, we encourage you to have or require you to have a conversation with the product security team. And yeah, that could be a great measurement for individuals. Did, how many times did you meet with product security? How many times did your whole team meet? And maybe, I, I don't know how you capture it, but what, what were some of the outcomes of those conversations? So I think, it's, I think it's great to do that so long as we also link those outputs to outcomes, right? Because what I worry about sometimes, and, and I'm sure you see this a lot, is people saying like, well, I took 12 meetings, okay? I don't know what that means, but it's great that you took 12. Did you have fun? Or did you learn things? <laughs> right? What happened? Was Talk to donuts? me about what happened. Yeah, were there donuts? <laughs> um, and so I think the I think part of the issue is making sure that we're linking our outputs to outcomes. Um, so, you know, one way we could do that is to say that uh, at the beginning of every product increment, Right, the PMs, the architects, and the lead developers met with product security to uh, inform the product security team about the work that's about to be done, and as a result, uh, you know, received a backlog of requirements from product security within 30 days. Uh, and this is the dashboard that shows how you're burning down against those over time. Right. That's a healthy process because that holds security accountable to development, but then also holds development accountable to security because we are really, we are accountable to each other. That's what being, that's what being on a team actually means. Yeah. No, I love that. I, I definitely focus on the outcomes. What I'm trying to figure out is how, how successful will an organization be if they try to tackle product security as a whole and get it all dialed in within the first 30 days of setting it up, right? And I'm yeah. just thinking if there are simple, simple goals, simple objectives, simple metrics yeah. that, that kind of set the stage for the culture you want. And well, you can measure so, that. And, then, and then, then, you, then you eventually start writing chat. Here, <laughs> here, here are a couple of easy, couple of easy ones. Um, threat modeling is part of every sprint. Uh, security champions are established on each team and trained to execute on their role on a dev team. Uh, we have set policy on our CI/CD and integrated it with uh, first-party code scanning, third-party code scanning, you know, infrastructures code analysis, Kubernetes code, whatever your stack looks like, right? Um, you know. Maybe some of the other ones are security releases, re, re, you know, security releases and maintains reusable components for software development, right? Like my authentication library, my encryption library. Um, you know, there's a whole, there's usually a checklist of eight, eight to 10 of those at least. Uh, so those are some of, I think, the, the improvements we can make. Then there's also like some other stuff that we can't measure that's really valuable. Like um, if I were if I were telling somebody in a security organization who really wanted to focus on product security how to get started, the first thing I would tell them to do is actually sit down with QA and SRE, right? And you got to form a, an unholy triumvirate of security, quality assurance, and site reliability engineering because all of you are managing non-functional requirements. All of you need similar processes, right? And all of you are invested in creating the best customer experience possible. So working together to influence the organization is really key. The second meeting is um, sit down with your product manager and not just for like an adversarial meeting, like take your, take your product manager to a nice long lunch, you know, buy them a, buy them a couple glasses of wine or beer or whatever, Like get to know these people. Understand their background. They're wildly interesting. They're they're smart. They're collaborative. They're thoughtful. Uh, they're trying to do good work. It's an immensely difficult job. There's a huge amount of pressure. Uh, so figure out how you can build team, not teams. Yep, I love that. And 
so that I wanted to ask you listeners to this, what can they do next? I think that what you just described is perfect for the product security leader, individuals, professionals. Um, let's look at this from the CISO perspective to wrap this yeah. up. Um, product security is one function in their whole thing. What, what can they do to ensure, maybe let's look at it this way. They don't have product security yet. What's the first thing they can do in the next few weeks? Mm-hmm. Or they do have product security, but they don't feel it's quite hitting the mark. Two, two bits of advice. Uh, thing number one, align organizational objectives across product and engineering with security. If you can't get buy-in from your executive leadership team that product management and software development are partially accountable for the security success of the organization, it's not happening. You're just going to have fights. You're just going to have fights with developers and architects and DevOps leaders and engineers and engineering managers when you say, but I need you to do this. And they say, but we, that is not part of our measurement of success, right? I don't get, that's not how I'm measured. I'm measured on release velocity and quality, right? Uh, And so you've got the CISO's real job here is to get the organization bought in that this is a collective action problem and it requires participation from a lot of other aspects and components of the organization. So that's thing one. Thing two, um, I would really focus on trying to build a security champions program. Uh, This requires you to have somebody in-house who really understands software security um, and probably cloud-native security. If you can hire that person in-house, having them scale through a security champions program is not perfect, but it is an effective way to begin. And the way that they would do that, right, is by being really clear about what's being measured. What are we measuring? What are the tools that we're going to use? Collaborating on getting those tools implemented effectively um, and then managing through that dashboard. And I guess the last thing that I would say is if you're a CISO who's looking to take on this job, you cannot hire security analysts to do this job. You also have to hire differently. You have to hire straight up developers, automation engineers, right? You're going to need to hire some people who don't know about Splunk or Azure Sentinel or, you know, who don't know, um, you know, about Ida Pro or, you know, whatever your favorite tool set is for reverse engineering. Like that's not what this is. This is more like testing and quality assurance uh, than it is like red teaming. So you're going to have to hire a different part, a couple of different people in the organization, but you'll want to because your company is your product. And so this is what you should be doing. Yeah. And the, the environment, the stack, I mean, hybrid cloud, multi-cloud, all the, all the, the, yeah, the, the build environment, everything. Yeah. <laughs> to- but it's totally so cool. It is. Totally but isn't it cool? It's awesome. Like we live in the future. We can do this stuff now. It's achievable. We can be, we can, we can finally build safe products for people. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. And I'll, I'll just recap quickly, Alex, that uh, some key points I pulled out one team, respect each other, hold each other accountable, take accountability as well. Um, All marching toward and aligning toward a common set of business goals, business objectives that uh, hopefully can be measured individually and as a team. Totally. Product or customer safety advocate. I like that. I love that. Yeah, it's great. I'm going to have an OSHA calendar. There you go. <laughs> I was thinking, picturing the sign up on the wall. It says, yeah. 30 days of uh, no uh, no safety record. Exactly. No safety. Everybody gets everybody gets hard hats. Exactly. Uh, this is cool. Uh, no question I could talk to you for hours about this, uh, and perhaps we will in many different episodes here in the Blue Lava community. Uh, Alex, uh I know you do a lot for the community and, and as folks are joining and engaging, um, I presume you'll, you'll be there for them to answer questions. Certainly there'll be other resources uh, available to folks to really look at and, and embrace product security uh, yeah. as it should be. And, uh, it's yeah. one of the reasons why I love working with Blue Lava. They, they set people up for success. 
So I got set up for success, understanding how to do this by, by working through Blue Lava. I got good at it because I got the right coaching. Uh, I got better at it because I had great developers who gave me good feedback. Uh, and I, I, I feel like I got really effective at it by having some great people at my last company and my current company who really, really made sure that this was taken seriously. Yep. Love it. And so as a, as a founding member of the Blue Lava community, what, what do you hope to see from this? And both from a paying it forward perspective and also from a, uh, you're going to continue to excel as a CISO perspective. I, I'd, love, I'd love to see more conversations um, between CISOs and product managers. And, and not just like conversations, like we had a conversation, like I want to see more material action. Uh, I, I want to see, I want to see a little bit of uh, almost collusion, scheming between CISOs and product managers, um, because I, I really want them to understand that, you know, we live in a world that is slightly more dangerous than we oftentimes believe and sometimes much more dangerous than we believe. And it's, it has made our societies made possible through technology, but it has to be made trustworthy and safe. Uh, and that is where the partnership and collaboration comes from. Nice one. So that's, that, that, that is what I would like to see. And that's what I'll be pushing for in the Blue Lava community is to put uh, product managers more closely together with CISOs and to try and, you know, be a little Johnny Appleseed of product security. <laughs> nice. And uh, there are many, many of those departments uh, that we should be looking at. So uh, I'm thrilled, thrilled to, to have you on, Alex, and uh, hope everybody enjoyed this conversation. I certainly did. And clearly a lot of uh, good advice and uh, some takeaways from Alex for those listening. Um, one of many conversations here in the Blue Lava community. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the LavaCom podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24.